0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and today I'm joined by Mr. Herman Pretorius. Let us get into the news of today, and the first one is a report on the number of grant recipients in South Africa. So the headlines that you will see in the media, I think on News 24, is that South Africa now has 24 million people on social grants, and that this is costing the taxpayer. 200 billion rand Um, that's a pretty significant amount that's per year 200 billion rand per year Um, but to make matters more complicated and more burdensome is that that does not include the 8.5 million people who are receiving the social distress relief of distress grant which was instituted during covid so there are more than 27 million beneficiaries monthly accounting for about 45% of the entire population. Now, the Social Relief of Distress grant is a very small grant. It's only about 350 rand. I think it's the smallest grant you can get. But that's costing something at least around 30 billion rand a year. This is not great, but what makes it even worse is that the country's social grant system recently has had some significant glitches. So not only are we paying all of this money, but not everyone who's supposed to be getting a grant is even getting the grant in the first place. Uh, There was a problem with post bank software, which affected something like a third of the people who get grants. And the situation was so bad that you had sort of old ladies who depend on their social grant pensions being unable to afford a taxi back to their house and having to sleep outside of the offices. Uh, the post-bank offices until the issue was resolved. I believe the issue now has been resolved. It took a little while. I think it was a couple of weeks. But Herman, this really doesn't seem sustainable. Um, you know, we need to be getting people in work, not people depending on government uh, handouts. And yet our restrictive labor laws, our terrible policy, it means that people just aren't able to get jobs.
1: Yeah, but it, is, it is a real disaster waiting to happen. Um, and perhaps even happening in slow motion here. Um, We've got roughly 16 million people in employment and we've got 27 million roughly on grants. Now, as you said before the show, there is some overlap people who are in a form of employment, in the informal economy, and yet claim grants. But the point is we can clearly see that the number of grant recipients outmatch the number of active labor force participants. Now, that's a problem because it's your labor force participants, the earners, the value adders who become the taxpayers. And it's from the taxpaying base that you get the ability to pay grants. Now, grants in and of themselves aren't a bad thing. It really depends on how they are utilized and what they incentivize. But what gets frustrating about this government is every time the number of grant beneficiaries grow, they brag about it. They announce it to the world as if it's something wonderful that more and more people are becoming state dependent. That isn't sustainable. You can't have a situation where you have less input in terms of value add than you have output in terms of social support. Social support at its best is this net at the bottom that catches the very, very poorest and the most vulnerable. But because you can't even sell sandwiches, in Johannesburg, in a city, um, and earn an income that way. we Remember, a few years ago, we had the Sandwich King literally having his sandwiches that he was selling during lunch hour confiscated because he wasn't in line with municipal bylaws. It's that sort of nonsense that makes the case even more untenable to say that it's easier, it's more lucrative to just wait for a grant because in South Africa, work doesn't pay but waiting on the government does. And that—that that is how you entrench multi-generational loss of skill and multi-generational loss of wealth.
0: What I always find so horrifying, though, about the grant system is that it is a system where people are able to survive, but they can never really realize their dreams in the current setup of our economy. Uh, and so, you know, grants are very small. People, I think, often don't quite realize how small. You know, a child grant is something like 510 rand, Per a child, I think it can go up to sort of 750, depending. Um, you can't make a better life for you or your child if, you, if that's how much money you have. So essentially, all these things do is make poverty more bearable, but they do nothing to end it. Uh, and that yes, is a terrible and, thing. And they disincentivize the,
1: um, actually approaching the ladder of empowerment because generation after generation becomes further removed from the idea that there's something other than a grant. There's something like an income. We've spoken about this before. It is thoroughly depressing. It is eroding at the social fibre of especially
0: our rural South Africans. Indeed. That's why every single political party should be talking about nothing but creating jobs by changing the policies that we currently have in place. Okay, let's move on to our next story. And there was this shocking case in the lady recently where A bunch of uh, kids uh, died after supposedly after eating biscuits that were poisoned or off or something from a spaza shop uh, around one of the taxi ranks there. The spaza shops in that area happen to be uh, foreign owned. It's not entirely clear whether the children did actually die from the biscuits or whether it was from something else. But there has been a significant community backlash on uh, on the, the suspicion that the foreign shop owners are to blame. And Now Operation Tadula have shown up, and they say they are going to close all of the foreign-owned shops in the area uh, permanently, and they will not allow any foreigners to trade. Operation Tadula's spokesperson said "The township economy belonged to South Africans. Quote, we've also heard the secretary of the ruling party stating that it is reserved for South Africans, and while they're just saying it, they need to start practicing it. We want these people out of our townships because they are draining our economy. Of course, this is a completely wrong way of looking at economics. When people provide economic services, even retail services. They are actually providing a service of connecting buyers to sellers. And it's not a job that everyone can do. And often the reason that these foreign-owned spousal shops work um, is there's a whole number of reasons. Sometimes it's because the owners are connected to each other and cooperate well. Sometimes it's because they sleep in their shops and they have very low costs. Sometimes it's because they're Muslims and don't believe in in charging interest. And so they are willing to offer Interest-free loans to their customers um, in exchange for 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 uh, basically shopping there, um, and this uh, this means that every single one of these shops that's destroyed will likely not be replaced by anything of the same quality, and that means mm-hmm. that the poor people in the area who buy their goods and services from these shops will suffer probably the most. Herman, mm-hmm. what do you make of this?
1: I think the first story and the second story we discussed today are interlinked. If you are going to disincentivize economic initiative. Giving those goods and services to communities at a price that they can afford and that you can make a living off through a heavily burdened grant system where it's easier to, work, to live off the state than actually live off your labor and live off your efforts, then you are going to have these two speeds of productivity. South Africans entitled to the grant system will not have the incentive to pursue economic initiative and economic risk to the same extent as foreigners who might not have the same access to the grant support system. So it does come down to economic incentives. Oftentimes, foreigners engage in entrepreneurial risk and effort simply because they don't have other means of securing an income. But also a fundamentally wrong thing to think is that there is something like Uh, a spaza shop just waiting for a South African to open it and enter it. These are businesses created on the initiative of the risk taker willing to put up their time, their services, their resources in place there. That person isn't robbing anyone of a job. There isn't a job that anyone in this country is entitled to have if someone else can beat you to the punch of effectiveness, quality of service, and price of good or service. So the idea that the township economy belongs to South Africans is frankly stupid because the township economy in and of itself depends on goods, services, knowledge, IP, that come from outside the township and quite often from outside the city. You know, you can cring it, you can ripple it out and circle it out as much as you want to, but the idea of an isolated economy belonging to one person or another, and within that economy, the idea that you've got a right to a spaza shop because you're South African, my goodness, why didn't you outcompete the spaza shop in the first place? if you've got the ability to do that. And there's a small anecdote one of our colleagues once told me in their area a few years ago there was a heavy xenophobic anti-foreigner sentiment the spaza shop owners were kicked out within 6 weeks the elder of the community the elders of the community came together and asked the spaza shop owners to return because the goods available at the spaza shops were cheaper than the goods available 40 kilometers away that they can pay it's not as simple as turning on this switch or off that switch that's not how the economy works And operation to do that is a toxic mix
0: Exactly. And if we don't solve the problem of low economic growth and unemployment, we're just going to get more stories like this as desperate people fight harder and harder for what limited opportunities there are. In fact, I would not be surprised if some of the people encouraging Operation Digital to shut these shops down are other shop owners in the area who maybe mm-hmm. don't like the competition. And uh, the census data just came out
1: this week. We are 62 million people in South Africa, 2.4 million the people in South Africa, are foreigners. So around 60 million people in South Africa are South Africans. If you are going to tell me that punishing the 2.4 million who are here will magically solve the socioeconomic problems of the other 60 million, I mean, you're just, you're farting rainbows, Matt.
0: Exactly. Okay, let's go on to our last story very briefly. And this is, I think, a bit of a misstep from the DA in KZN. So as part of its efforts to win over support in KZN, uh, it looks like the IFP and DA, if they form a coalition together, will be able to do quite well in KZN. Uh, They are hitting the campaign trail hard in the province. And one of the things they've done to launch their campaign in the province is, uh, I think it was Martin Mayer, who's an MPL for the the DA in the province, put out a statement saying that the DA has reiterated its calls to the the, uh, provincial administration to place the city of Etiagüini city of Durban under administration um, because it is in such a bad state. And the city is indeed in such a bad state, but this to me seems like a very poor idea. Firstly, it violates a principle that the DA has been kind of pushing towards, which is a decentralization of power, um, <coughs> excuse me, that is something they're very uh, focused on in the Western Cape. And it also undermines their experience in places like Hateng, where the DA city of Tswane was placed under administration by the ANC provincial government, and it really didn't make things much better in the city of Tswane. Um Herman, yeah. what do you make of this? Well, to the DA, I would say, if you
1: want to govern Itaquini, win an election in Itaquini. To the people of Itaquini, I would say, if you want another government, vote for another government. If you're going to have political takeover, coup by gimmick, then you are you know, setting the constitution on fire. You can't in one hand be the party of the rule of law and then the party of rule by whatever means are available to us. If you want to govern a city, win it. And their voters, if you want a different government, vote for it. It's as simple as that.
0: Definitely. Okay, that's all we have to say today. So thank you very much for watching. We hope that you found the show interesting. And all I can say is that's a wrap.